the talk, why it is important to talk to your children about sex. The primary outline for this um, forum is uh, first an introduction, it'll be brief, review of God's design for sex, why I would not want to talk to my kids about this, suggested resources, conclusion, and then some open discussion about uh, testimonies, questions, comments, any of that kind of stuff. The need. Um, before I get into that, the, the introductory comments is that Betty and I are experts at this, and we're perfect parents, so none of us are. Um, just like the rest of the parents, we're trying not to mess up our kids too badly. We're trying to do the best we can, try to make the wisest decisions, just like everybody else. Um, whenever we have resources or opportunities to, to discuss and get some ideas, it's helpful. Um, so we're not coming as, as if we have answers or anything like that. If we can be helpful, we want to be, um, and I'm sure many of you can teach us a thing or two. Um, the, uh, the need is, uh, is important because, as, as we'll get to, there is a... Uh, our kids are being taught about sex. Culture is teaching them day in, day out, TV, commercials, uh, school... Uh, friends, kids are being taught about sex all the time. And I think it's good if we can have the right input, teach them correctly. God has a design for sex. Genesis 2, 24 and 25 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. From this um, passage, you can see beauty and unity Comfort, companionship. It's a wonderful and a beautiful thing that God has created. This word cleave that is chosen there in the Hebrew is to cling to or adhere to with the idea of pursuit. So it's not just to hang on to, but to chase after, to desire after, a longing for. And the one flesh. It's fascinating to me how God has designed this... this, um, this thing to be um, two individuals coming together as one flesh. Uh, the brother, brother Paul even wrote that it's a mystery. Um, because it's not just a physical, but it's an emotional and it's a spiritual thing where, where two become one. It's, it's, it's fabulous, fascinating. Um, God's design, Hebrews 13, verses 4 and 5, marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled, that whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation or lifestyle or your life be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In that, we can see the contentment, fulfillment in God's provision, purity, honor, and in all of this, we, we can see the, the contrast to the culture of today. Looking into 1 Corinthians 7, 2. Uh, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. This word in the Greek, to have, is to hold, as in the hand. To hold fast, to keep, to hold on to or cling to. To be next to, to possess. That's from Vine's Expository Dictionary. It's a covenant commitment embodied in this, this sexual act, to have and to hold, we hear in, in marriage services, to have and to hold. And it shows the value and the possessiveness and the jealousy of, 
of, uh, that we should have for one another, a jealous love and commitment for one another, even as God has for his children, as was expressed in Exodus 34, 14. Um, has any of you seen the Truth Project? Um, where it refers to, he talks about, Del Taca talks about um, Elkanah and the jealousy that God has for his, his covenant relationship. That's the same thing that we're supposed to have, and it is um, talked about here in this verse also, to have uh, and to hold. Next verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 3, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto her husband. Do. There's a debt, and there's payment. This is something that a husband and wife are supposed to exchange to one another. It's an obligation of sorts, but benevolence is goodwill. So it's understood as a conjugal blessing. It's, it's a gift that we give to our spouse, an act of kindness. Not as a reluctant obligation, oh, rats, I guess I have to go through with this. But rather, it's, it's a strong desire. I want to bless my spouse. It, it's it's a, a wonderful, beautiful thing that God has designed. In 1 Corinthians 7, 4, continuing on, the wife hath not power over her own body but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power over his own body but the wife. If, if anyone has looked at the NIV from the 1984 translation, it mistranslated that to say the... Um, the wife, hath not, the wife alone hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband alone hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Indicating co-ownership. And that's incorrect. If you look at the Greek, that's not a good translation. And I wonder how many were messed up because, oh, I, I still retain some ownership when I get married. Rather, what's being taught is when we get married, we give all authority of our body to our spouse. It, again, it's a gift that we give to our spouse, and through the sexual act especially. The Greek says absolutely no power, so not power isn't strong enough in the English. It's absolutely no power over our own body anymore. None. No authority. It's not my body. It's my wife's. And it's a gift that is given to my spouse. So, the need. God's designed for sex. I think we can all agree that God has designed this, this act of, of sex. It's, it has beauty. It has unity. Comfort, companionship, servanthood, commitment, oneness, and on and on. It's an example of God and his children and Christ and his church. This intimacy that we exchange with our spouse is an illustration of the intimacy that Christ wants with his children and the Father with his children. But the enemy is perverting that. As believers, we have this opportunity to experience God's design wholly and purely and celebrate it. The enemy all over and around us is perverting that. In which is God glorified? Again, Hebrews um, 13, 4 and 5 talked about the, the marriage bed is, is holy, it's honorable. The bed undefiled. God is glorified in when his children um, selflessly express this act to one another. But the culture is not modeling that or teaching that at all. The schools, the media, entertainment, and our kids are being bombarded with this constantly. And many of us are afraid to speak to our children. 
So, what should our children be learning? God's way or the other way? In God's design for sex, who's teaching our children about sex? Someone is. I promise someone is. What are they teaching them? If it's not us, then it is someone that we probably don't um, want teaching our children the perspective that they have. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7, and 20 and 21 talks about the responsibility we have to teach our children. I want to read that. Deuteronomy 6. Because though it's not specific about the... uh, about this topic. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Verses 20 and 21, And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you, then thou shalt refer him to someone else for the education, right? No, then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondsmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. We are not to pass off responsibilities, especially something so significant as this topic. We should not outsource. We should not look for other solutions. But it is our responsibility, it is our privilege to be able to teach our children. Our firstborn, Caleb, um, and I sat down for probably our second um, time of talking about this subject. And uh, Betty's going to share with you a series that we we went through with him. But um, we sat down, and and in this one, um, we discussed in more detail where babies came from and how they're born. And we went graphic enough so he could understand, he could picture it, he understood. Um, It was either that day or the next day, um, we were at the the dinner table, and and Betty was talking about how she had a C-section, and how it delivered a different way than I told him. And as soon as she said he was cut out and, and taken out of her tummy, he turned and looked to me, like, what? That's different. But in that, as soon as he did that, I realized, where else should he be looking for answers like this? He should be looking to his father. And I thought that was perfect. Years ago, I I always remember that. I thought it was very vivid. Okay, so that was uh, the introduction, the review of God's design for sex. I'm going to turn it over to Betty here for why I would not want to talk to my kids about this. Okay. Um, okay, first one, it robs them of their innocence. And then when we're talking about innocence, we're not talking about that they don't sin or anything, but you know we have this, um, like a childlike, na- n- na- what's the word? Naiveness. Thank you. I can't, naivety or whatever, I can't say it right. Um, and talking to your kids about sex does not rob them their, of their innocence because, as Thad was just sharing, sex is good. God created it. Um, the information that they're getting maybe from the world is 
not good, but sex itself is good. And true information about sex, of which the Bible is quite full of, um, can actually bless your child. Uh, it can help them see the beauty of God and his divine purpose in creating their bodies, as well as respecting the opposite gender. They can learn about how life begins and the special bond between a husband and wife. And by you giving them this information, you become the expert. And they can turn to you like Caleb did to, to Thad. Sec, uh, next we have, I can't talk about it in a way that they will understand. Um, evidently, at about six or seven, children start to begin to have, um, they can have detailed discussions about things. They can think more logically and show interest in gender roles. They start knowing, you know, mommy and daddy and different things like that. Um, so at about that age would probably be the first time you'd want to talk to them. Obviously, six and seven is only a guideline. You know your own children, and you need to be discerning. You may need to wait a year or so, depending on their um, abilities. Um, but either, either way, at least at that age, you would want to talk to them um, about, or excuse me, uh, the information that you give them, you don't want to go into a lot of detail, obviously. Um, you just give them brief, concrete information that they can understand. Um, we obviously don't have a talk about how a baby is conceived in its intricacies and how the baby comes out and about gay and lesbian marriage. We don't do that with a six-year-old. But we can give them information that they can understand so that they don't think the baby comes from a stork or they go to the hospital, mommy just brings one home. There's a lot of misinformation that kids get because their parents won't, won't tell them. You know, or you know, maybe they think you know, if you have a baby, you're going to die or something like that. So there, there are a lot of things that kids can make up in their own mind if we don't give them the right information. Um, next is, I should wait until they reach puberty. Uh, people used to think that sexual attraction was linked to the maturing of the sexual organs, but now studies have shown that it actually also involves the maturing of the adre adrenal glands, which happen between the ages of six and eight years old. Uh, DHEA is secreted by the adrenal cortex and metabolized, leading to testosterone in boys and estradiol in girls. So at, at the age of 10, the DHEA level is 10 times higher in kids than it was when they were four. So, and probably by that age, kids are already having kind of an, an immature sense of attraction. Um, so that is well before puberty for most kids. Uh, kids don't have sex, so there's no point in talking about it until they're ready. If we follow that logic, then we shouldn't talk to anyone until they get married, I'm guessing, which is probably not the best time to talk about sex. Um, but though the kids aren't seeking out sex, they could be abused at a young age. So, um, And children are most vulnerable to sexual abuse between the ages of 7 and 13. Um, so for the young, like we said, 6, 7, at least they should have some um, information including uh, talking about sexual abuse. It could make them curious about sex too early. Um, as Thad said before, our kids are exposed to ungodly sexual education constantly. TVs, movies, uh, video games, magazines at the checkout. You're just going to the grocery store and they see there's quite provocative photos there. Um, uh, if your kids are in public school, they're getting it from the kids, if not from the teachers. Um, 
And as Christians, we need to do everything we can to lay a firm foundation about the truth of God's design for sex before they're bombarded with the lies that the world wants to tell them. And something, too, for some reason, kids, um, if a teacher says something, kids, like, they think that's gospel. Mom and dad say something, "Mm, I'm not sure. So, you know, you probably want to be the first one to say these before their teachers tell them something. Um, Oh, here's a good one. We homeschool our kids so they don't have to be exposed to this stuff. We do homeschool, so this is kind of a funny one. Um, Even the most sheltered kids can be exposed to wrong sexual uh, information. Their friends at church, neighborhood kids, um, they can see an animal in the act, right? If you guys have, anybody has pets, um, pregnant women walking around, and even reading the Bible could spark curiosity and questions. So we can't really shelter them from the reality that we live in a world designed by God as a sexual world. Remember, sex is not bad. God designed it. The world just corrupted it. My kids haven't asked me any questions yet, so I'm not eager to tell them. Um, If your children ask, at whatever age they are, you want to give them answers. Uh, Age appropriate, obviously. But don't wait for them to ask, because some kids will never ask you. Um, depending on if they're shy or embarrassed or whatever, it's just not going to happen. And as embarrassed as you are to talk to them, trust me, they are more embarrassed to ask you. Um, We don't wait for them to ask um, how they can be saved before before we share the gospel message with them, so we really shouldn't wait for them to ask about sex before we share that with them as well. My friends brought it up with their kids, and the kids were really embarrassed by it. So we can make this awkward because we might um, communicate our discomfort with our body language, maybe our tone of voice, or maybe we've waited too long and our kids have already heard some things, and that makes them think sex is bad, so they're very uncomfortable having conversation with you about it. Um, As parents, we can help make the dialogue a little bit easier when their little children call body parts by their proper name. Uh, talk about love, marriage, and pregnancy very naturally as they grow up. Don't make sex, uh, the topic of sex, something that's locked up except for when you have the talk and you never talk about it any other time. It should, always, it should be an ongoing conversation. We have had more than one or two or three or four conversations with our children about sex. Um, you know, there, there are opportunities all around us. Um, perhaps a friend or someone they know gets pregnant out of wedlock. You can try to shy away from that and not talk about it and whatever, or you can use that as an opportunity to show them what God's design is for marriage and, and children. Um, if something happens or somebody, your kids say something, you know, don't just quickly try to get past it or whatever, but really talk about it and to, to make them feel that it's okay for them to come to you and talk to you about sex. Um, I'm unqualified because I have sexual sin in my past. Um, there could be people who, you know, they feel they didn't do it right, so they aren't really qualified to talk to their children about it. But we need to remember that we are not the standard for our kids. Christ is. 
Um, and we have authority to teach our children about sex because God says we do, not because we're perfect. Um, being transparent about sin also allows us to model repentance, and it shows our kids that they aren't alone in temptation. Um, as, as the kids get older, um, you know, depending on what, it, it may be a point where there's something you would want to share with your child about a struggle that you had when you were their age. Um, obviously, you need to use discernment, um, and that transparency needs to serve a purpose, not just to get it off your chest or whatever. If it's going to help your child, perhaps uh, you know, pray to the Lord if that's something that he wants you to, to discuss with them. Um, but most importantly, talk about how God has transformed you and redeemed you and redeemed you from that sexual desire, whatever it might have been. And then lastly, talking to my kids about sex is intimidating. I really don't know what to say or how to say it. Um, there's a little truth to that, but ultimately there are an overabundance of resources available to parents now from Christian perspectives, not just the world's perspective, that we can use that can give us the tools um, so that we can have those conversations with our kids. Um, and we're going to talk about a few of them. ...into the uh, suggested resources. But first, a disclaimer. Um, the uh, information that we suggest here, uh, keep in context of, of uh, what the Lord lays on your heart and how the Spirit leads. Discernment is absolutely necessary. God-given wisdom. Um, some of the resources that we do recommend... Um, come from organizations that have uh, some differing views on some things. For example, masturbation. Um, we know that that's pro- um, one of the involved people is a proponent of that, whereas we don't, we don't feel that's appropriate. So if any of the material promotes that, we would not share that with our children, or we'd share a differing view and say, this is what we really believe is, this, these are our convictions, and, and share appropriately with them. So as we share these, and we were very selective in our recommendations. We tried to review all of these, and we think that the material, as we could see it, fits our standards, um, but we should each do that. There are a lot of resources out there, tons of resources. Sister Barb sent me a, a lot of resources. Sister Linda Yon sent me a lot of resources. We found a bunch on our own. We narrowed it down to these few things, but there are more if, you, if you'd like. We'd be happy to share them with you. This is a four-book series called uh, God's Design for Sex by Stan and Brenna Jones. Um, and this is what we've used with our children. Um, the first one is called The Story of Me. It's recommended for ages three to five. It's very basic. Um, but it does use the correct names for body parts. And, you know, it's, it's very vague in, you know, how children are conceived. Whatever, but it talks about husband and wife. Um, so, but it's written for three to five-year-olds. Um, it starts the conversation so that, you know, that's probably good for parents. It's pretty easy and not very intimidating because then you can have that conversation and go, oh, you know, that wasn't so hard, so you're not quite so scared um, to have more conversations. Uh, The next one is Before I Was Born and is recommended for between the ages of five and eight. Uses simple language, talks about body parts, sexual intercourse between husband and wife, conception, fetal development, and childbirth. Then, um, What's the Big Deal, Why God Cares About Sex is for ages 8 through 11. And I tried to get these from the library. Unfortunately, I could only get books 3 and 4. So I have them up here if somebody wants to look at them. 
uh, just to see how they're written. Um, much more detail in book three. And in book four, Facing the Facts, The Truth About Sex and You, this is for 11 to 14, um, and your child actually reads it on their own, and then you have discussion with them afterwards. The other ones you read with your child and, you know, have conversations as you're using them. Thank you. And, yeah, it, it's, it's an easy read with the, the kids, too. Um, it's in a format of, like, a, a mom speaking and then a dad speaking and one of the children asking a question and, and a response. So it's very, very uh, non-threatening. And even have the children read part of it if, if uh, you're so comfortable. Saw this resource uh, from Focus on the Family, The Talk. And you can, it's a free download. You just go on there and glance around, and you can find The, the Talk. And it's a, it's a, it looks like a wholesome, appropriate resource also. It, it kind of covers some of the same material. Um, basic goals and guidance from Focus on the Family. How and When to Tell Your Kids About Sex is by the same authors as that four-part series of God's Design for Sex. Uh, Stan and Brenna Jones, they seem to have a good perspective. And so it fits well with, with our um, theology and methodology. Um, I, I reviewed this, and, and it looked quite good also. So I would recommend that. How to Talk Confidently with Your Child About Sex, also published by Focus on the Family. Um, this is a six-book series, and uh, I, I looked at at least a couple of them, and it looks like it's very thorough also and, and very appropriate. Passport to Purity, some of you may have heard of this. It was by Dennis and Barbara Rainey from Family Life Ministries. Um, this helps uh, with commitment to purity and uh, instruction for the, the kids. And last but not least... <laughs> Uh, you can use the Bible for a basis of discussion. Um, Genesis 1, 26-27 talks about God creating man and, male and female. Genesis 1, 28, God command male and female to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 2, 18-25, God created sex to bring new life into the world and to create oneness in husband and wife. Song of Solomon 2, verses 3-7, through seven, sex is pleasurable and passionate, but for marriage. Um, Exodus twenty fourteen, and First Thessalonians four three talks about sex binding you to a person in a, a special way. And Second Samuel thirteen twelve through fourteen talks about sex um, never being forced on anyone. Then, as they become teens, you talk about the physical and mental changes. Uh, Luke two fifty two talks about peer pressure in Proverbs one eight through nineteen. Temptation for easy sex, Proverbs 7. Guarding the eyes, Job 31.1. And guarding the heart, Proverbs 4.23. And I'm sure there are many, many other ones if you just did a search for yourself um, that you could use that in instructing your kids. Yeah, thank you. So that brings us to the conclusion. I, I noticed we were going through that I failed to open us with a word of prayer. Um, let, let's bow our heads for just a moment. Um, Lord, this is a very important topic. You've given us such a beautiful, wonderful gift, and unfortunately, the enemy has been corrupting and perverting that and um, sharing that with our children. And I pray, Lord, that as, as this is talked about, that even though this prayer is a little bit later in the, in the forum, time is nothing to you. Uh, asking your blessing, Lord, upon the instruction that whether um, individuals here can use it or pass it on to someone else, that... Uh, uh, this encouragement will continue that um, it will not be just a one-time event, but throughout the course of children growing up, they will have the, the right teaching and interaction and discussion and openness about 
sex within your framework and how you truly have blessed such a thing. As, as we conclude our, our time here, Lord, be with us in that also, in the final discussion and comments and thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. And my concluding comments would simply be um, how important this is to each of us. I like sex. I bet most of you do too. It's, it's a wonderful thing that God has blessed us with and for a purpose. And he's given it to us not just for our enjoyment, but to set an example of our relationship with him and the intimacy that he really desires to have with each of us. I think that's beautiful. And I so much appreciate his thoughtfulness in that to give us such a, uh, a vibrant um, illustration of the intimacy that he desires with us. Not just a casual acquaintance, but a deep longing, satisfying intimacy. And I think our children need to learn that too. And it's not something to be ashamed of or hidden, but it's something that can be proclaimed, not bragged about, but appreciated. God designed and he looked at it and said, this is good. And I think that he smiles when his children enjoy this and include him in it. It's holy. It's honorable. It's a wonderful thing. And we can't, especially as believers, we can't let the world corrupt it. The enemy's trying to take attack on it, and he's succeeding in many ways. Culture's heading the wrong way. But we can model this for our children. Um, are there any thoughts or comments as we draw to a conclusion here? We have plenty of time. Yeah, thank you. Any thoughts, comments, questions, derogatory remarks? As a grandmother, I'm with my grandkids frequently, and subjects have come up. I don't know. I probably should be asking my children this. Do I've kind of shirked the whole issue and said, talk to your mom and dad about that? Or is that something, am I missing an opportunity? Is that something you as a parent would want a grandparent to fill in or, or not? Excellent question. From my perspective, Betty may differ, but from my perspective, it, I would like it to be my responsibility. For example, my son Caleb hasn't started driving yet, and he's over 16. I want to be the first one to take him out and put him behind a wheel and, and drive with him. I, I think that's a special thing. But one of these days, one of his friends may do that, and I miss that opportunity. Same thing with this discussion. It's so important that I would feel like I missed out on something very valuable that can't be withdrawn. So that's an interesting, interesting position to be in. I would say that, um, especially if it's happened more than once, um, perhaps have a conversation with them to see what they have already told the children so that if you're reinforcing something that they've already, you know, maybe little kids don't always learn on the first try, um, that I wouldn't have a problem if you're just reinforcing something that I've already brought up. But yeah, maybe I guess it's, it's my responsibility. I shouldn't pawn it off on you. I think there's a lot of parents that might say, oh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but that wouldn't be right either because that is their responsibility. I would agree. It's the parent's responsibility, but as godly grandparents, I would hope that we're all working together with the same message, and they need to hear it from a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, 
it is wonderful, you know, and it is a, a great gift, and it is the um, that intimate relationship that Jesus has with the church is, is is people, and we need to just like all those subjects, we need to be all working in the same way and uh, giving the same message because otherwise you introduce weird stuff. But I would think it would be very important as a grandparent in a similar position um, to have those discussions with the parents as well and keep them tuned in to what's going on and being discussed. That would be a very important part of it. Good. Thank you. Anyone else? We have three boys, seven, uh, nine, and 11. And... uh, I was kind of waiting for the younger one to catch up. So that, uh, if they start comparing notes, it's age appropriate to all of them. Is that a bad idea to wait till they're all about uh, ten or eleven? So you're saying you haven't covered anything yet? Ten or eleven, I, I'd say, is Getting is old. starting to. They've probably been exposed to stuff already that you don't want them exposed to, and you you need to correct it. I would think. It's a decision that's up to you and, and your, your wife. Um, but I'm thinking that, that about that age, yeah, that's, that might be, it might be a little bit behind already. Plus, I think um, there, there's some good in having just a one-on-one with your son. Pardon? Oh, okay. But, but actually, you'd, you'd almost be better off if you just, well, let him talk. doesn't matter. But um, if, if you would do them before they get so old, sometimes the older one can even, you know, help the younger ones along to reinforce what you're teaching them. But, um, yeah, I would say have a talk with your older one when you get home. <laughs> um, <laughs> if and, not sooner. And, and also with probably the other ones. Sister Barb was right. There's some validity in coming from different sources. Betty earlier mentioned the teacher and how they, when, when the teacher in school says something, it's gospel. Well, from other sources, it is, it is very helpful. So if mom and grandma or dad and grandpa are, are verifying, the same, um, saying the same thing, or brother says, yeah, you know what, this is, I believe it's true. It helps. I don't know, but I think we start with when they're first talking. I mean, what are the body parts? We'll and Okay. But I don't, if you, I guess the deal is when you have the, the word, the talk, it's kind of misleading in my mind. Because it isn't a talk. It is just regular conversation throughout life. And it should be that flowing, I would say. I think for us, uh, it, uh, it was really uh, something that what really was important is that close relationship it, for us it's the two boys or young men now but uh, uh, you need that you need that the right relationship with your child in order for that to be able to be a comfortable uh, conversation and it's not uh, something that's way out there it's just part of life it's part of the beauty of what we live as life but you need that relationship there already Find it comfortable at any point. <laughs> Don't wait till you're comfortable. You got to do it anyway. But I, I understand what you mean, it, and, and it is an ongoing thing. You you want them to be 
um, comfortable coming to you then if they have questions or if their you know, friend from school says something totally different than what you said, I, you want them to be able to come to you and ask you, well, is this true or is this not true? But if you, if you're, if you make it about a one-time thing or you're not, um, you don't make them feel comfortable during that talk thing, then they won't come to you. And it will be a one-time thing. Thank you. Anyone else? All right, let's conclude with another prayer. Lord, as we leave this room, um, impress upon us the importance of the intimacy that you desire with us. And may that be reflected. May we have a true, clear, clean understanding of intimacy and this important topic. And may we reflect that to our children, not just on a, a one-time basis of the talk, but throughout their entire lives, showing the, the importance of, of how we reflect you. Because, Lord, above all else, we want to glorify you. We want to please you. So in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who has done so much for us and loves the church dearly and intimately, amen.